the New Testament reading this morning is the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 2, verse, eight to, verse 10 to 18. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it was not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God indeed. Uh, well, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's great to uh, see you online this morning. Uh, my name is Huey, if we haven't met before. And uh, if you are joining us for the first time uh, today, uh, let me add my welcome to, to Oscars. Uh, wonderful to see you here uh, this morning. Uh, now, uh, I've been uh, getting a little bit of feedback that um, uh, some of us are not seeing the screen properly at the moment. Um, can you just put up your hand if you're not uh, actually seeing the screen and the speaker side by side properly at the moment? Or is everyone okay at the moment? Uh, looks like most people are okay. So... Um, I'll just take that as, as given. Um, but uh, for the next uh, half an hour or so, we're going to be thinking about um, that passage uh, that was just read out for us by Matt together. And uh, uh, before we have a look at that passage together, uh, I'm going to lead us in prayer, uh, just asking God that he would help us uh, to understand uh, his word this morning. So uh, let me lead us in prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, that we can meet together online this morning um, like this, and thank you that we can uh, open up the Bible and hear you speaking through it. And uh, Father, we pray that uh, this morning you would help us, uh, help us to um, listen carefully and uh, help us to understand the things that you say. And uh, we pray, Father, that uh, if this is the truth, that you would impress this truth uh, into our hearts, that we might believe the things that you say and uh, that we might live in the light uh, of your wonderful truth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, friends, uh, have you ever lived in denial of something? Have you ever lived in denial of something? Uh, in my living room, I keep a photo of myself in the glory days of my youth. Uh, you can see the photo on your screen at the moment, can't you? And, and I know what you're all thinking. Uh, you're all thinking, what an astonishingly handsome man uh, Huey was when he was younger. 
But uh, I, I keep this photo in my living room because uh, whenever I look at it, it helps me to deny the reality of uh, what I am now. You know, I've put on a little bit of, of weight since then. Um, I've got wrinkles on my face. Uh, it's not looking very pretty at the moment. But whenever I look at this photo, it just helps me to live in denial uh, that little bit more. Now, I, I want to suggest that this is a little bit like how our world responds to the reality of death, don't you think? For we keep looking at certain things in order to deny the reality of death in our lives. Uh, perhaps we might look to modern medicine which has been so effective in curing many of the diseases that, um, that our ancestors used to die from so that we think that ne death will never come. Or perhaps we look at the latest diet, thinking that if I can just eat uh, healthy food, then um, I can keep death at bay indefinitely. Or perhaps we simply busy ourselves in this world with work and pleasure in order to numb the reality of suffering and death in this world. Now, is that true? But I wonder whether lurking behind this denial is a real fear of death, because uh, we just can't avoid being reminded of death all the time, can we? Uh, I think the current coronavirus pandemic has really brought this fear to the fore in many of us as each day we are presented with the rising death toll. Uh, last night I saw a documentary on 9-11. Uh, um, it's been 20 years since that, uh, since that awful day. Uh, listen to what Ernest Becker, uh, who, who uh, was not a Christian person, but he was an influential thinker in the, in the 70s. Uh, listen to what, what he uh, wrote in his Pulitzer Prize winning book called The Denial of Death. He says, the idea of death, the fear of it, haunts the human animal like nothing else. It is the mainspring of human activity, activity designed largely to avoid the fatality of death, to overcome it by denying that it is the final destiny. Friends, are you and I fearful of death? Does it haunt us in our quieter moments? Do we simply go on in the busyness of our lives to mask the, the reality that death will one day come? Well, if that is you, then I want to suggest that God in the Bible has some good news for you. And my hope and prayer this morning is that the things we hear God saying in his word will profoundly set us free from this fear and this terror of death in our lives. Now, uh, we're going to look at a short part of the Bible this morning from the book of Hebrews, which was uh, read out for us by Matt. And uh, the first thing I want you to see in this passage is that God's plan for his people is not ultimately death, but the glory of life itself. God's plan for his people is not ultimately death, but the glory of life itself. You can see it there in uh, chapter, uh, verse 10 of chapter 2. Verse 10 of chap chapter 2, uh, it says this. For it was fitting 
that he, that is Jesus, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. See, God's plan is to bring many sons to glory. Uh, The Bible uses the word sons here, not to exclude women, but because in the ancient world, the sons were the heirs who would inherit everything from the father. And so this is talking about all of God's people, uh, whether it be men or women, who are in an enormous position of privilege before God because we are the heirs. But notice where God's people are heading. Uh, The destination is described there as glory because it is the place where God resides in all his glory and, and majesty and splendor and where God's people will experience uh, all of God's goodness forever. In other words, this is talking about heaven or eternal life, as uh, uh, other parts of the New Testament puts it. But further, notice here that God's plan to bring many sons uh, to this glorious end involves a saviour called Jesus. Now, you can see in the passage there that Uh, Jesus is described as the founder of their salvation. Uh, Now, the word founder usually refers to someone who who begins something, doesn't it? And so, for example, the founder of Microsoft is Bill Gates because uh, he he was the originator of the company. But in the scriptures, the word for founder can also mean pioneer or, or someone who blazes the trail so that others can follow. Um, I watched the movie the other day about Sir Edmund Hillary and uh, his Sherpa guide called Tenzing Norgay. Uh, You might know who they they were. Uh, They were the first people to reach the summit of Mount Everest in 1953. Uh, It was an extraordinary feat, don't you think, given that they didn't have all the, the sophisticated modern equipment that we have in our own day. But it was also a pioneering moment for what they did was they blazed the trail so that others could follow in their footsteps and more and more people could reach the glory of the summit of Mount Everest. That's the kind of thing that is being said about Jesus here. He is the one who not only died on the cross, but rose again and ascended into heaven so that he could blaze a trail for others to follow into the glory of heaven itself. Uh, But here's the thing, friends. Did you notice that God's plan to bring many sons to glory is described there as being fitting? Uh, Did you see? Did you notice that? Why is it fitting, I wonder? Well, it's fitting because the Bible is very clear that death was never God's intention for humanity. Death is not the way it was meant to be when God created the world. And so it is fitting that God would provide a way for for the glory of life to ultimately prevail rather than death, you see. Uh, You know, uh, I've noticed it's very common these days for people to say that death is just a natural part of life. 
Have you ever heard uh, people say that before? Death is just a natural part of life. There's nothing to be afraid of. I think the idea has been popularized by shows such as The Lion King and, uh, you know, that song, The Circle of Life, that they sing in The Lion King. But if death is, is such a natural part of life, then why do we grieve so much when we lose people that we love to death? Why does death feel so unnatural and not the way it's supposed to be in this world? Well, it's because it is not a natural part of life. For God's intention for humanity was not death, but life. And here what we see is that God's plan to bring many sons to glory is fitting because it is in keeping with God's original intention for humanity. But why is Jesus' death needed in order to bring many sons to glory? Why is Jesus' death needed to bring many sons to glory? Well, the next part of our passage tells us that Jesus' death was needed in order to free us from the power of death that holds sway over us. Now you can see it there in verse 14. Verse 14 says this, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Now you can see there that death is described as this oppressive power that enslaves us. And it's a power that is wielded by the devil himself. I don't know whether you believe in the devil, but the Bible describes the devil as very real. And uh, I think there is a lot of truth uh, to that famous statement. Uh, it was in a movie somewhere, I, I think. Uh, not in the Bible, but in a movie where uh, someone once said, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was to convince the world that he doesn't exist. But how does the devil wield this power of death over people's lives? Well, uh, in the Bible, the devil doesn't hold that power directly. But he does it in an indirect way by tempting people, tempting people like you and me to sin, which we do so willingly in our lives. Now, uh, sin in the Bible is much more than simply doing bad things, contrary to popular opinion. For sin is an attitude that we have towards God himself. It's that arrogant attitude of thinking, I know better than my maker how to run my life. It's that ad arrogant attitude that says to God, I don't want you in my, uh, in my life and I don't want you to run my life because I want to be the God of my life. It's something we are all guilty of, isn't it? Now, some people express their sin in very vocal ways. But I think most of us do it much more quietly, simply getting along, uh, getting on with our lives, ignoring God and treating him as irrelevant in our lives and in our decisions 
as though I really were the God of my own life. Have you ever treated God like this before? But just as treason in our world is one of the most serious of crimes punishable by death, well, God's punishment for sin is also death. God's punishment for usurping his rule in our lives is also death. For God simply refuses to allow people to continue in this fantasy of thinking they are God and making a mess of their lives and the world that we live in. God simply loves the world too much to allow sinful people to go on forever. Now, when I speak about death as God's judgment or as God's punishment, I'm speaking not simply about physical death, but the judgment of God that follows our physical death and separates us from God and his goodness for all eternity. Uh, later on in the book of Hebrews, uh, we are told this sobering truth. Uh, it says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. In other words, friends, physical death is just a gateway to God's judgment. One day, you and I will die, and we will come before our maker, and our lives will be evaluated by him. Uh, during lockdown, um, I've been going through my old photo albums, a uh, little bit out of boredom and a little bit out of a sense of nostalgia. Uh, has anyone else been doing that uh, in our spare time? A few of us. Uh, it's been wonderful because, you know, photo albums are full of the highlights of your life, aren't they? Uh, you know, you have photos of birthday parties. You have photos of holidays. You have photos of your greatest achievements. Uh, you have photos of you looking your best. Um, you've seen one of my photos already. Uh, things that you are proud of. Now, uh, I reckon many people in the world think that, you know, when you stand before your maker uh, on, the uh, on the day you die, uh, God will judge your life only on the highlights. But friends, what the Bible tells us is that because God is righteous, that he is not going to simply ignore sin. He's not like a bent copper who turns a blind eye to evil. No, when you and I stand before our maker on the day we die, he will evaluate our lives based on the reality of things that we have really done and really said and based on the reality of things even that we have thought of in our, in our minds, perhaps things that we would be deeply ashamed of if everyone knew what they were. How will you and I fare on that day when we stand before our maker and have to give an account of our lives? You see, friends, this is the real reason why death is so fearful. It is because death is the gateway to God's judgment. And if all I can expect is to be judged by God on the basis of the life that I have really lived, then I have every reason to be terrified 
Now, is that true of you as well? But the reason why Jesus' death on the cross is such good news is that his death breaks the power of the devil to ultimately bring eternal death and judgment to us so that we might be set free from this terrifying fear of death. You see, Christians are not people who are never afraid of the pain and suffering of dying physically. But Christians are the ones who are profoundly set free from the fear of facing eternal death and hell and the judgment from God because of Jesus. I don't enjoy talking about judgment. I don't enjoy talking about hell. But the other side of that equation is that in the Bible, uh, there is great news in Jesus and what he has done for us because he is the one who can free us from the fear of what is to come. But finally, uh, how does Jesus' death set us free from eternal death under God's judgment? Well, the answer we are given in this passage is that it's because Jesus is the great high priest. Jesus is the great high priest. You can see it there in verse 17 uh, where it says, Therefore, Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Um, you might know that uh, the high priest in the Old Testament part of the Bible was a man who was chosen from the people of God to represent the people before God. But the role of the high priest was also to offer sacrifices to God in order to repair that broken relationship between sinful people and a holy God who cannot look upon sin. But here, notice that Jesus is the great high priest. And that's why Jesus had to be fully human as well as fully God, because it is impossible for Jesus to represent sinners like us before God if he is not one of us. And just like we can't simply send a kangaroo to the Olympics to represent us in the high jump, but we need to send somebody human like us, well, Jesus had to be fully human like us in order to represent us before God. But here's the thing, friends. Notice that Jesus doesn't simply offer sacrifices of animals, which in the end are ineffective. But we are told in this passage that he sacrifices himself in order to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Now, that's a word that you don't hear every day, is it? The word propitiation. Um, but it is a word that describes a fairly common idea, even if you've never heard of that word before. For propitiation simply means to offer something in order, in order to turn away someone's anger. Uh, you know, I propitiate very regularly. Uh, very often I will do something or say something um, to make my wife justifiably angry towards me. Uh, it might be so, uh, something I say or something I have done or something I haven't 
done, like taking out the rubbish. But you, you know what I do when uh, my wife gets angry? Well, often I'll go and buy uh, a costly bunch of, of flowers that, that uh, empties out my, my wallet. And uh, when I offer these flowers to my wife, well, it turns away her anger towards me. You know, the entire flower industry, I think, is in, exist is in existence because of husbands who want to propitiate the anger of their wives. But you see, this is why Jesus' death on the cross is so wonderful. It's because when Jesus dies on the cross, well, he says to you and me, I am going to take the punishment of death that your sins deserve so that God's rightful anger and judgment for your sin can be turned away from you. So come to me, says Jesus, and you will not have judgment and condemnation from God, but forgiveness and a right relationship with God now and forever because there is now no more judgment or punishment to be paid. Isn't that the most profoundly good news that you can hear? But how is it, friends, that you and I can receive this forgiveness and the glory of eternal life? How is it that you and I can be truly set free from the fear of eternal death under judgment from God? Well, you do it by simply turning away from your previous life of sin and rebellion and ignorance towards God and turning to Jesus, seeking his help as the God and king of your life. In verse 16, we are told, for surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. See, this is the difference between Christianity and every other world religion. For every religion in this world is, in one way or, an, or another, all about self-help. They say, if you do these good things in your life, then you can help yourself to heaven. But the truth of Christianity is that God says, I know you can't help yourself because you are a sinner. I know that you can never do enough good things to wipe away the sin in your life. And so that's why I sent Jesus, my son, into this world, because his death on the cross is the only way you will know forgiveness and the glory of life everlasting. And so, my friends, will you turn to Jesus as your God and your King and ask for his help to set you free from the fear of death by bringing forgiveness and eternal life to you. Uh, a great Christian minister called John Wesley uh, once used to say these words. He, says, he said, our people die well. Our people die well. What he meant is that those who turn to Jesus, putting their trust in his death and resurrection for sin, were the ones who died without the terror 
of facing God's judgment of eternal death or hell in their lives. Uh, in my job, uh, I've had the great privilege of sitting by the bedside of the dying. And one thing that has always been evident is that those who have genuinely put their trust in Jesus, the ones who have genuinely asked Jesus to help them, to save them, and to change them, have been the ones who have died well in this way. But how about you and me? One day we too will die. One writer says that no world war or natural disaster or even pandemic has ever raised the death toll. It is still 100%. And so the real question is not whether we will die, but how will we die? There are only two ways to die. You can die and have your sin and rebellion against God judged before him. And on that day, have him sentence you to eternal death. Or you can die having your sin judged at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ who took the punishment for your sins for you. So will, which will it be for you? I hope and pray that each and every one of us will turn to Jesus as our King and as our Saviour and as our God and ask him for help to free us from the fear and terror of death in our lives. Now, uh, in a moment, uh, um, I'm going to lead us through a prayer uh, which uh, expresses this trust and uh, asks Jesus for help uh, in the ways that I've mentioned. But before that, uh, we're going to hear from uh, a member of our church uh, who I'm going to be interviewing. So we'll uh, cross over to that interview now.